One of the most uh, valuable topics I've spoken on over the last 10 years or so as a pastor of Journey is the topic of love. You know, our church has this love the world one person at a time cornerstone theology. It's what we've been driven on because as we came together at the beginning of Journey, we read the Bible and over and over love, love God, love others. God is love kept coming out. And loving the world one person at a time is our mission and it's our motto. And it's the thing that we believe is the most important thing that should be taught week in and week out. God sent his son to refine us. He sent his son into this world to love us and to give us everlasting life. And Jesus came to teach us about God being love. Hopefully you understand that. And hopefully during this message, you will be refined in this idea or this action verb called love. One of the great places in this world that we can see love, or hopefully we can see love, is through marriage. I hope you think about a marriage right now. I hope that one just pops into your mind and say, that marriage has all kinds of love. Doesn't mean that the two are perfect. Doesn't mean that they haven't had struggles or problems and even failures in marriage. But hopefully you can see love through that. I can think of about 10 to 12, maybe 15 marriages right off the top of my head that are at journey right now that are truly full of love. Not perfect but full of godly love and full of love because of God for each other. You know, there's so many metaphors about love and a lot of them aren't healthy. They're not maybe correct. Here's a couple of them. She is my, or he is my pilot and she is my co-pilot. Eh. Captain and first mate, lame. How about this? President and vice president, never ever use that one. The one I've heard is, oh, he's my yin and she's my yang. I don't like that either. Too often we get into the metaphors and think these are really what's going to make our marriage work. But really, truthfully, some of the elements of those uh, metaphors are true, but they're lacking. In the Bible, there's one metaphor that's clearly stated about marriage that we should follow. Christ and the church. How Christ loves the church. And do you know who the church is? It's you and me. We're the church and how Christ loves the church. That's a biblical metaphor that we should understand. And it helps us understand love, especially to, uh, between a man and a woman. Well, how do we know that? It's not just some of the words that I say that make sense. The only way that we can see that is go to the word of God and see what he says towards us. Today we're going to go to Peter chapter 3. But before we do that, I want to talk about what Paul writes about marriage because it kind of works hand in hand. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 33 about what this means. So here's what it says. It says this, as scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and two are united as one. Now I do a lot of marriages and I'm not a math major. I went to Chico. I kind of skipped math. But two becoming one, that's very hard to do. It's very hard to do. Two becoming one. To, for that to really happen, you need God. How can two different families, how can two individuals become one without God? Only God can do that. And we see that, that God's, one of the God's first anointings of marriage comes in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. One of the beginnings of God's creation was marriage. So it's valuable. But listen to what Paul writes, because this really kind of stands alone. Here's what it says in verse 32. This is a great mystery. What's a great mystery? Two becoming one, man leaving mother and father to become one with his wife. That's a great mystery, but here's what it says. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. 
This is an illustration. This is a metaphor. This is the way that we should see marriage, Christ and the church. And then it says, verse 33, it's at the end of the chapter. It says, so again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. That's hard to do. I'll be honest. I'm a man and I tend to think about myself all the time. So I'm supposed to love my wife as much as I think about myself and love myself. That seems very hard. And then at the end it says, and the wife must respect her husband. There's these two words in that text, love and respect. We, we did a class about five or six years ago. My brother and sister-in-law, Ed and Yvette, did this class a couple of times. It's called Love and Respect. And it was to help grow marriages. But did you hear what Jeremy said? We're going to do another class with marriage well. Matthew's parents, uh, uh, Al and Letitia, they're going to teach us and help us walk through this marriage class coming up. You should be a part of it. No matter where your marriage is at, it's critical to always learn and grow in your marriage. Now, I have a few sayings that I want to kind of put together uh, and put out there for you to kind of help us understand marriage, and I like them. There's four of them. Here's what it says. Marriage is like a fine wine. If tended properly, it gets better with age. I love that. You know, me and Liz always see an older couple holding hands, and we kind of go, Jeff and Liz. Every time we see a couple that's older than us, we always say, hey, there's Jeff and Liz. We want to make sure as we get older and as we grow older in our life, we want to have a marriage that's tended properly and that our marriage has got more love and it grows as we get older. Here's probably my favorite one. I love this. Marriage is like music. Both are playing different instruments and different parts, but as long as you're playing from the same sheet, you can create something beautiful. Isn't that awesome? Myself and Liz, we've been married for 14 years. We're playing different musical instruments. We're playing different parts of the song, but we're playing off the same sheet, the same word of God. And when we do that together, something beautiful happens. Isn't that awesome? That's how marriage should be. Here's the third one. Marriage is like a garden. It takes time to grow, but the harvest is rich unto those who patiently and tenderly care for their ground. What's the ground or the soil like in your marriage? Does it got nutrients? Is, that, is it that really strong, rich soil that goes deep and anything can grow? Or is it dry and barren and it needs some work? That marriage class is coming up. Sign up for it. Here's the last one. This one's kind of interesting to me. It says, marriage without struggle is like an unfired clay pot. It's easily made, but it will not stand the test of time. Struggle is really the refining moment in marriage. I know that in my marriage, when I struggle, it helps me cling to Christ. It helps me grow as a man. And it helps me understand that I can do better or need to be better, even if it's not my fault or I'm not the issue. Marriage without struggle, that's the refining moment. It's a defining moment in your life. We need to realize that the struggle is real and struggle makes us who we are. To get to that defining moment, we need to be refined. And that's why we're going through 1 Peter. Jeremy's created this amazing sermon series so that we can be refined in so many different ways. We talked about being refining in hope and holiness. And last week, an unbelievable message about honor. And today we're going to talk about love. And I want to talk about love and use four words to help refine the concept or the idea or the theology of love. Here's what the four words are. We're going to talk through each one of them. Authority, beauty, honor, and prayer. Now, we talked about honor a lot last week, so that, that'll be the one that I speak less on. But those four words are critical for us to refine our idea of prayer. So let's open up our Bible 
Let's turn to 1 Peter. It's towards the very end. And uh, let's start at chapter 3. And I'm just going to read a couple verses and then pray. Here's what it says. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husband. Wow. We'll get to that. Then, even if some, of, uh, some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. I love this part. This is my favorite part. And, and here's what it says to me. This shows how we are to live our lives. And when we live our lives correctly, we win lives for Christ. I've seen this. This is very personal to me. I've seen my mom serve my dad right into the kingdom of God. Love and respect and honor him even when he was acting like a jerk and disrespectful to God. And now, because of that, he's grown into become an amazing man of God, leading my mom and, and helping out in the church in so many ways. And it's all because my mom lived in a way that was honorable to him and, uh, and respecting her, his authority. And her reverent life really changed his heart. I love that. Verse 3 says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. We don't talk about this stuff anymore. You should clothe yourself instead with beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And I love this, which is so precious to God. And we're going to dig into that. Verse 5 says this. This is how the holy, old, uh, the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. Wow. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance... Sarah, he gives us this example. Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him uh, her master. And some of your translations, or most of them, say Lord. He called her, uh, him Lord. He says, you are the daughter, uh, you are her daughters, and when you do what is right without fear of what your husband might do. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. This is an important place. Sarah is an example of how we are to live our lives. I love how Peter just puts it out there. He's always connecting us to the Old Testament so that people can realize that this has been going on uh, from back in the days of early on with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on. Let's spend our time praying right now. Whatever you think about love, whatever you think about marriage, however you've been hurt in marriage, let's pray and ask God to refine us right now. We just bow your head and pray with me? Father, we love you and we claim you above all things in our life. We give you all the honor and praise and glory for who you are. Lord, wherever we have sharp edges or wherever we have rough spots in our heart and our mind and our soul, will you refine us? Lord, wherever we have this dross, this impurity in our heart, will you burn that away? Father, wherever we are not of you in our someplace in our soul and in our heart and our mind, will you take that right now and refine us to understand your love for us? Use this text about marriage and about husbands and wives to help us understand love. We love you, Lord. We love you and we claim you above all things. Amen, amen, and amen. Did you read what it said? In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husband? In 2020, how can that even be real in this politically charged year? in this place where there's racial inequity, in this place where there's division in the church and division in our country, these words about women are blasphemous. 
Women have moved so high in our society today that how can these words be true? We have women running for president and vice president. Judges and senators and lawyers and doctors. They're breadwinners. They're making the most money in the family. Women have moved in such a, in, into such a high place in our society today. And these words respect and give authority to that husband? This can't be true. It's not politically correct. It's outdated. It's ancient. And it's not relevant. This must be history and not reality. Or maybe that's what's wrong with our society. Maybe the structure of the marriage and the fall of man has really created a, a, a place of chaos in our society. Wives must accept the, hus uh, the authority of him. This guy's a fool. He can't take out the trash. He can't keep his clothes in the hamper. He can't keep a job. He doesn't come home at times. How am I going to respect this guy? Are you kidding me? That's what the Bible says. Over the last 20 to 25 years, have you seen the change in the media on how it portrays man? Over the last quarter of a century, man has become the fool of the media. He's always making mistakes, and then there's Wonder Woman who comes in and saves the day. And it doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that women aren't powerful and growing and can do amazing things. But it's really showing us that men are incompetent and they're not worthy to have authority and respect. And it's destroying the fabric of society. Now, before you boo me and click off the internet, will you give me a few minutes to explain? I want to talk about authority, but I honestly, if you give me five more minutes, I promise you it'll help you understand this. Because here's the key, key point on authority today. The only way to really view authority in marriage is what is seen by Jesus Christ. Let me say that again, because I think that might be the most important thing I say today. The only way to really view authority in marriage is by what we see in Christ, in Christ alone. If we look at authority through the eyes of Jesus and in the eyes of marriage, we will see that this will help us navigate us through this text, and it will refine our love. Now, let me kind of put a little disclaimer. If you're single right now, if you're single right now, this message is still impactful and powerful to you. And so don't think that, oh, I should click off because they're talking about marriage. Because really, if you want to be married or if you have an idea of married or maybe you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, this will help you. And maybe you don't have any of that on your mind. This will still help you because this is about Christ and the church, you and God. If you really don't understand authority, how can you really honor, respect, or love anybody? And the only reason why I say that is I have struggled with authority my whole life. I'm not good with it. I've never been good with it. Ask my mom and my dad. They'll tell you. I just, I was always against it. And it's been a struggle my whole life. But at one moment when I opened up the text and I made this crazy claim that I never thought was going to pan out the way that it did, which is I'm going to put God first and I'm going to believe these words and I'm going to make it the authority of my life. And I thought really this was kind of hokey. But now I look back and I'm like 18 years later, I'm blown away because I accepted and I submitted to this authority and it's changed my life. And I promise if you do the same, it will change your life. But let's talk about this. Uh, we need to learn to honor and love and respect everybody and give people authority. 
Listen to what Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. Go back to that same verse where Paul is writing about marriage. Kind of it works well with what Peter says. He says this, 521, submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Last week, Jeremy was telling us to honor people. We're supposed to honor, submit out of the reverence for Christ. Not for you, not for me, not because they have opinions or preferences that are like yours. You're to submit out of the reverence for Christ. We need to love everybody. Do you agree with that? Does the Bible say that? If we love everybody, then we should submit to other people. We should submit to everybody, and we should honor everybody. Jeremy said honor is everything. If you believe that, that's true. Now, that's hard because I know what people feel about the president or senators or congresspeople or judges or police right now. How do you do that? Well, go back to last week's message. There's a moment in there that gra grappled my heart. I had to wrestle because honor is everything. And we need to learn to have that reverence for respect for Christ so that we can grow. We need this in our life. Now, how does Peter write this? How does he write this, and, and how does this make sense to today? I was listening to Jeremy's message last week, and there was this moment where I was listening to what Peter was to, to honor and what we are struggling with today. What we are struggling with today in the United States, the struggle with our presidency and racial injustice, and maybe some persecution on Facebook or Twitter, is child's play compared to what Peter was going through and what Paul was dealing with. And now we're so worried about this time in history is so critical. And this is the most important election. You know how many times I've heard that? Four times, five times maybe, that that's the most important election. You know what? What we're seeing in our country today is child's play. What's happened in our own history. Back in the 60s, it was way more violent. People were getting murdered on TV. Back in the turn of the century, the suffrage movement for the women, there was, uh, there was all kinds of struggle. Women were dying. Back in the Civil War, people died. The biggest war, the, the most murdered uh, citizens of the United States. How about the Revolutionary War? What we're talking about today is child's play. And we're making it the most important part of our life. This is it. And what was happening during Peter's time? They were killing Christians, feeding them to lions, burning them for pleasure. If you disagreed with someone, off with their head. And we're worried about today. Peter's words are as relevant as ever. To really understand authority, though, we've got to look at Christ and Christ's ways. And women, if you're struggling with this right now, just look at what Christ does and how, what he says in his word. And I promise you by the end, both men and women, we should see kind of a revolution of, of heart change for this. Here's what it says. Here's the first one. Jesus does not use his authority to control me. Rather, he brings freedom to me in my life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus doesn't use his authority to control me, manipulate me, and put me in the right position so that uh, he can get something out of me. No, he wants, me to bring, he wants to bring freedom and break the chain so that I can live a life of freedom in Jesus Christ. Jesus' highest priority is relationship, not rules. That's Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38. He's not about rules and regulations. He's not about your role. He's into a relationship. That's what he uses authority for. The third one says, Jesus does not force or accuse, uh, use accusations to compel me to change. No, he uses kindness. Romans 2, 4 says, his kindness leads me to repentance. 
man, that's awesome. He uses his authority and his kindness to lead me into a place of repentance. The next one says, Jesus gave everything of himself, even unto death, to bring me and keep me into a right relationship with himself. Jesus used his life and he died so that I can be in a right relationship with him and with God. And all of that's done through this amazing Holy Spirit right now. How about this? Jesus loved me first with no guarantee that I would respond to his love. What? He loved me and he died for me and he sent his, uh, and God sent his son for me even while I was a sinner, the Bible said. But he didn't say, now you have to love me because I loved you. He loved me and he didn't require a response. He's not asking, saying you have to respond in love. That's crazy. But he used that authority to bring me into a place of great relationship because he gave me a choice. And there's two more. Jesus does, all, does in all his power to lead me to walk in my God-given identity. Jesus uses his authority to help me in my God-given identity and to fulfill his calling in my life. To help me in my identity and to help me in my calling? Awesome. But listen, it says more. Yet he leaves me a choice to follow his lead or not. He gives me that choice. I don't have to follow God. I don't have to follow his word. I have a choice. He never forces me to submit to his will because without a choice, love cannot exist. Do you get that? He gives us a choice because without a choice, love doesn't exist. You have a choice to love your wife or to your, uh, love your husband. You have a choice to love God and the people around you or not to. That's a defining moment. That's, sh that should be refined right now. If there's something going on in your heart right now, that's the Holy Spirit refining you and moving you into a greater place. And maybe it hurts. Maybe it's stinging a little bit. But maybe that's a good thing. To get to that defining moment, you must be refined. And God is going to refine us. Here's the last one. Jesus further uses his authority as my protector, my encourager, my champion, my relentless pursuer, and my generous provider. And so much more. Jesus' authority is awesome. Understanding Jesus' authority brings peace in my relationship to God. And I hope it brings peace to you. This refines my thought on love through the idea of marriage. And women, this should help you understand how authority should be revered to, uh, through your husband. The proper use of authority, men, the proper use allows your wife to grow and, and flourish and become the woman that she's always supposed to be, the identity in God and using her calling and giving her that choice. Women, you got to do your part. And I promise you, the men will grow from that if you can respect and give them authority. So let's talk about beauty. That's the authority idea, but let's talk about beauty. Verse 3 says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. That's so against the California lifestyle. We are Southern California cool. It's like what we drive and how we look. And dude, if your eyebrows aren't on fleek right now, nah. We just don't live that way anymore. These words are so irrelevant to today's life. I don't even know if you can say on fleek on, on a biblical message, but it happens. So it's always, for me, it's going to be a first. 
But listen, it says, you should clothe yourself instead with beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This doesn't mean that you, women, you can't talk. That's not what it says. It says you have, should have a gentle, quiet spirit. But have you ever looked at Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. This is free for everybody. Excessive talk, it says, leads to sin. Excessive talk leads to sin. A lot of times we can talk ourselves right into a place of sin. So women, sometimes, it, you know, a couple, couple months ago I said, women talk 20,000 words a day and men talk seven. Maybe a little bit less talk might be better for your marriage. And men, pick it up. Get more talk and I promise you it will help. But it's not talking about how much they should speak. It's talking about this gentle and quiet spirit. This gentle and quiet spirit which is precious to God. Listen to what verse 5 says. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. Think about some of the beautiful women of the Bible. How they made themselves beautiful. Sarah shows as an example in verse 6. But what about Esther and Ruth? Uh, Lois and Eunice and Priscilla. This is how the women of old were, were revered. How did they do it? They put their trust in God and they accepted the authority of their husbands. I understand it's hard to do. I get it. I'm a husband, and I'm foolish at some point. But listen to this statement. It might be the most important statement on beauty that I've said in my history as a pastor. Pure and reverent beauty comes from how we clothe our souls, not how we clothe ourselves. Beauty comes from how we clothe our, clothe our soul, not from how we clothe ourselves. You know, there's two major uh, Bible verses that a lot of marriages, we call that a traditional marriage with youths. We see that love chapter in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And then there's another one, it's Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. But listen to what it says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Since God has chosen you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself, how? With tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are fruits of the Spirit. If you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to have a great relationship with God in the way that He uh, wants to work within you, you've got to look at the fruits of the Spirit. You've got to be uh, tender-hearted. You've got to be kind, gentle, um, hu humble, and patient. How about this? Look at what verse 13 says. Make allowance for each other's faults. How many people on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter have offended you and that you need to make uh, allowance for their faults? How many people are you pissed off at right now because of their political stance or what they said or how they posted or how they're acting? Well, what does it say? It says, uh, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who has offended you. You know what we're doing today? Block, unfollow, get rid of, swipe, next. No, the Bible says if I clothe myself correctly, if I do it in humility and gentleness and patience, and I make uh, uh, room for each other's faults and forgive them, that's going to make my life better. Here's what it says. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others too? Yeah. Verse 14, it says, above all, clothe yourself with love. Love kind of puts it all together, which binds all of this together in perfect harmony. How do we do this? Pure and reverent beauty comes from how we clothe our soul, not ourselves. It's not about what we look like outside. I know we live in Southern California and, and image is everything. 
But to God, it doesn't mean anything. It's how we do the inside clothing. This is how we refine our love by refining the concept of beauty. Verse 7, we haven't read this yet, but this is to husbands. Men, get off the couch, put the coffee down, put the phone down, and listen up. If you don't feel good about your marriage, if you feel distant and lost, and you don't see that God is working in your life, maybe this will help. It says, verse 7, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Give honor to your wives. If you believe in Jeremy's message at all, it says honor is everything. Give honor and glory and, and, and praise to your wife. Treat her with understanding as you live together. Listen to this. It says she may be weaker. I know some of your wives right now. She's way stronger than you. It says she may be weaker. We know that biologically that could be true. But it says she is your equal partner. Some say co-heirs in God's gift of new life. Equal partner, co-heirs. I love this part. It says, treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. The third word is honor. We talked about it last week, and you just need to go back and listen to the message. I, I loved it. Our community group, we, we couldn't even get through the first 13 verses or the, the first few verses because we talked about it so much. We just, we just kind of sat in honor for a while, and it was really powerful. Honor is everything. And there was a moment where I looked at myself and I said, am I honoring the people that need to be honored? And why am I not? What's wrong with me, God? And there was this really refining moment in my soul. And it's going to take weeks and months and maybe years to unpack. But I believe that we need to honor those that are unhonorable. And today, I'm sure you could think about 10 politicians that are uh, not worthy of honor but require honor. If the Bible says that we are to love our enemies, then we should honor our enemies as well, politically and socially and within our own community. Peter understands this. Peter is coming at a turbulent time in history. Christians are being persecuted, not by some Twitter post that's offending you or something said by a candidate running for president. That's not persecution. We're talking about life and death. Peter understands what's going on. And these words are timely for today. And they should be refining us right now. The Apostle Paul writes something to help us as husbands. Here's what he says. And this goes back to this marriage analogy of Christ and the church. And we, the humans, are the church. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ loves you. He died for you. He rose again so that you may have eternal life. And he's changing the way that the world thinks about love by what he did. He loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of the word. How do you husbands make your, your wife work uh, and, and your marriage work correctly? By washing yourself and cleansing yourself in the word. These words will make my marriage better. I've got to use them. I've got to make them part of my daily manna to survive. Men, honor your wife. Men, understand your wife. Treat her as Christ would treat her. Giving up your life for her. How do you think that would make her feel if you did that? Giving up your life. If she knew that whatever she was going to do, if your life was on the line for her every minute of the day, how do, you make, how do you think that would make her feel? I guarantee you, 
She would feel comforted and loved and she would want to honor you and she would want to give you the respect and authority that you deserve. The last part of the message is about prayer. Prayer works. Prayer works. If we honor her, men, regardless of how she respects us or regardless if she gives us the proper authority, if we honor her, it, we're better for it no matter how she treats us. If we honor her and we treat her with understanding, I get it. I don't know if we can understand women, but you're not trying to know everything about her. You're just trying to understand her and say, honey, I'm just trying to understand what you're saying and how you're living and how we can med mold together. We're not trying to fix her. We're not trying to explain her or teach her or train her or control her. You're just trying to understand her. And trust me, it's not easy. But she's worth it. By understanding her, your prayer life will be effective. Effective. When I'm in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with my wife, my prayer life is effective. It says if you treat her like an equal partner, a co-heir, you will have a prayer life that won't be hindered. Now, a lot of times this is kind of misquoted. A lot of times they're like, well, if you don't do it right, men, your prayers won't be answered. But the Bible says that our prayers are, are not answered. They won't be heard. Our prayers are heard no matter what. But here's what it means by hindering. If you're living right and loving correctly, your prayer life should be on point. But if you're doing things wrong and you're not treating your wife correctly, your prayer life is muddled in chaos and not the kingdom. If I'm making mistakes with my wife and I'm causing chaos and confusion with my kids, I'm praying about my sin and my struggle and I'm not praying about the kingdom. And because of that, my prayer life is going to be hindered because I should be kingdom focused, not chaos focused. That's what I think we're talking about here. To sum it up, our prayer life helps us refine our love in our life today. Our prayer life helps us refine love in our life today. I want to take a pause for a second. If you haven't put a prayer request in recently, go online right now and put a prayer request in, either the website or the app. Go to the communication card and put a prayer in. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. So do it now or in five minutes, but we want to be a part of your prayer life. We want to let your prayer life become part of our prayer life. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's the title of the subtitle would say it's living in the light. And then at the end, it's talking about marriage being a, a blessing to God. Very similar to what Peter says. Now, there's the, the message is a translation of the Bible. And I, I put this verse up. I usually don't teach out of the message, not because I don't believe it. But uh, sometimes it's a little bit confusing to teach from because they don't do the verse by verse. But listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, or 5, verse 1 and 2. And see what it says about love, because I really think it adds uh, uh, some real impact. It says this, observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. I mean, think about what that word means, extravagant. I think of the great Gatsby and the, 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 uh, the extravagance of some of the stuff that was in that movie and the book. I, I actually didn't read the book, but uh, the movie was cool. But that's what extravagant is. It said, he didn't love us in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then it says, love like that. Listen, observe how Christ loved. We're trying to figure out how man and women should love. 
And we're using this marriage as a metaphor to kind of talk about refining love. And in marriage, there should be love. But it's really about Christ and the church. And it said, God sent his son to love us extravagantly. He didn't love us to get something from us. He loved us to get something out of us. And, and, and that's a right relationship with God. And it says love like that. You know what? Marriage is a great metaphor also for our relationship with Christ. And in just a few minutes, I hope someone that's watching is going to accept Jesus and, and, and get right with God, maybe for the first time ever. But listen to some of the analogies about being married to a man and a, a marriage of a man and woman and being in a relationship with God. When you get married, two become one. We read that, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. But when I'm in a relationship with God, me and God become one, forsaking all others. It's just me and God and his son and the Holy Spirit. And together we're in this relationship. And it's just like in marriage. When you marry someone, you live for that person and you're no longer living for self. When I'm in that right relationship with God, I'm married to them and I'm living for God and the Son and the Holy Spirit and I'm not living, I'm not supposed to live for anybody else but Him. When you marry someone, you stop flirting and chasing people in this world. When you're in a relationship with God, you stop flirting and chasing things of this world. When you're in a marriage, you, you make a commitment to that person, obeying and trusting and serving and giving and, and submitting and all these things that we don't want to do. When we, we're so in love, we say, oh, I'll do whatever. But six months later, six years later, 60 years later, it's hard to do. Finally, in marriage, you practice love daily. You have that spouse and they come home or you come home and there's this love that you should practice daily in Christ. You get to do the same. Practice love daily. Marriage, if anything, refines us and teaches us how to really love. I love where it says in Romans, don't just pretend to love, but really love. And I know that we kind of went through a lot of stuff today, but I promise you in the end, I think this will, will bring it all together. These four words are refining us right now. Here's the words, authority, beauty, honor, and prayer. Authority, and we must understand authority in the eyes of Christ. Look at the ways Jesus used his authority. And men, we need to have that same concept. And women, you need to trust that God is going to grow us into that concept. Beauty, we must clothe our souls, not ourselves. Honor, we must honor everyone. Because honor is everything. We are even honor those that we're opposed. Because if we're supposed to love our enemies... We should honor our enemies as well. And finally, our prayer life helps us refine our love in our daily life. I'm so grateful that you're with us today. And right now, I just want to pray. I want to pray for the congregation, but I also want to pray for that one person that's lost and struggling and it's not connected. And I want to pray that that person for, for, for this moment and for a lifetime accepts Jesus and gets in that right relationship, becomes that lifelong partner with Christ, and watch your life change. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for you, for what you have done in our life. And I pray right now the Holy Spirit goes out into the internet and into people's homes and challenges them 
and burns away whatever's not of you in their life right now so that they can learn to love. Women respect, men honor, and watch this love tsunami go into this world and change us one person at a time. Father, we know that you are good, and we know that your words are timeless. They're not just history, they're reality for today. Use these words to grow us and teach us about love. And Father, I know there's a hurting soul right now. Lost, lonely, distant from you and from this world. And if that's you right now and you feel your heart being tugged, God is calling you into a relationship, a marriage. He wants to love you. And all you got to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved and become one with God. Just repeat after me. Father, I love you. Forgive me of my sin and of myself. Lord, you died so that I may be cleansed and you rose again for my eternal life. Help me understand that. Holy Spirit, take over my life right now and help me learn to walk in all the ways that you have for me so that my life will be a blessing to you. Father, we claim you above all things and we thank you for what you've done so that I may be right with you. We love you and we praise you in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm so grateful that you joined in today. If you want to come and meet us at the park live, 10 o'clock on Sundays, we've got kids going on. You know what? Share this message. It will impact people on your feed right now. And, and lastly, I want you to make sure that you put in a prayer request. We're so thankful that you've joined us today. God's with you. God bless you. And God loves you.